Hey, hey, we're going to read together from God's Word in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You'll find the text that we'll read printed in your notes, but we're going to be looking beyond that section. So find a Bible if you've got one or open it up on your device. And let's, uh, let's stay seated right now, but I want, you, want us to read together from God's Word in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. For as the body is one and has many parts... And all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. This is God's Word. Again, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at some of the verses that follow. In 1958, the folks up in Missouri had a pretty, uh, pretty spectacular idea. Uh, they were going to, uh, to build a dam that would allow them to create hydroelectric power, but it was going to pretty significantly impact one of the rivers that was associated with it. In fact, it would uh, become a lake as this dam was built. The lake is Lake Tainicomo. What was going to happen was once this dam was built and they began to release water from deep in Table Rock Lake into this smaller body of water, the actual water temperature in that smaller lake, Lake Tainicomo, was going to dramatically change. It had previously been what's labeled a warm water lake, and so all of the kinds of fishing that you might find here at Lake Waco and other southern regions was uh, plentiful there. But once you start dropping 48-degree water through that lake on a consistent basis, that water temperature doesn't hold. Well, the smart people of Missouri realized that they had an opportunity. And you know what they did? They built a fish hatchery right at the, the base of the dam and brought in species of fish that do not survive this far south, or even as far south of Missouri. They brought in rainbow trout and brown trout and began to hatch them and to release them into this new cold water environment. And now, for us Texans, we don't have to go very far to have a great place to fish for rainbow trout. Now, some of you actually care about this, and uh, it's an important destination that you're putting on to your list. Lake Tainicomo, uh, outside of Branson, Missouri, it's a pretty cool place to go visit. The rest of you are wondering why I talk about fishing. Well, I do so to help you to see what it is that this passage of Scripture is pointing us to as people who claim to follow Christ. So what happened in Missouri was these fish who did not belong in Missouri were able to be transplanted there because, well, the habitat changed. Well, what the Apostle Paul is pointing to is he begins to talk about the, the makeup of the church. Before he starts to talk about all the different parts of the body, and we'll get to that in just a moment, he drives the church to remember you are all from different origins. You came from different places but you've been transplanted into one new home, the home of the body of Christ. That's what he was getting at there in verses 12 and 13 that we already read. He was saying, you've got a new home. It's a home defined by the Spirit, and it's a good thing. Because just like rainbow trout can't survive in the south because the water is too warm, followers of Christ, Christians 
cannot survive in this water, this water of a culture that ignores and, and rejects the lordship of Jesus and his way of life. Followers of Jesus cannot survive in this water if it were not for the new home created by God in his spirit and forming us into a new body, a new family. The first thing for you to remember today is that if you are a follower of Christ, you have, you have come from all different origins. But the reason why we can survive here, this side of heaven, and not just survive, but thrive, is because the gracious gift of God to us is His Spirit that He gives forming us into a whole new humanity. And this, regardless of where you came from. Now, today you've already gotten to uh, hear Michael sing, but I, I want you to hear him talk too. Michael, would you mind coming and just for a few minutes, would you share about your origin, about how it is that you came to know Christ and uh, come to do what it is that you do? Well, it's warm in here, isn't it? <laughs> you could take it off if you, you need to, you the jacket there. Really so. <laughs> journey began, uh, of course, with my mother, and some of you may not know, some of you know, I have an artificial leg, knock on wood, here, and uh, at the uh, age of three, uh, the doctors figured there was, there was nothing they could do because my leg was deformed, and so I had to just kind of walk like this, turn this way, and this leg straight, and, and they finally said, we can't do anything with it, and I've had a prosthesis ever since the age of three, and so I still just run, play basketball, do normal things like you would do. And so many would say, well, don't you just hate God for doing that to you because you don't have a leg like some of us? And I'm just like, no, he just made me special. And so, and at the age of five, uh, four or five years old, I began uh, my journey beginning to know the Lord. Uh, there was a church that ran about 30 buses in the Oklahoma City area. And uh, they came by, knocked on our door and asked uh, my mom, hey, would your kids like to come to church Sunday morning? And we were pumped. And so my journey began as I hopped on that bus to church that Sunday morning. And uh, just a couple of years later, I began to uh, trust Christ as my Savior. Uh, they were preaching on hell of all topics. You know, boys and girls, you don't want to go to hell when you die. And uh, I was scared. And so I, I came running down the aisle. And I trusted the Lord as my Savior. And, and I still remember the gentleman that led me to the Lord. And uh, what a joy it is to, to know that man. And uh, a couple of years later, the pastor said, hey, would you like to attend the Christian school? And so I began my journey in Christian education. And what a wonderful time it has been. And during uh, a missions conference at that church, I surrendered my life to full-time Christian service. And I wanted to do whatever the Lord wanted me to do. And so I did not know what that was. But I know there was one thing I wanted to do. I wanted to learn how to play that piano. I wanted to, after church, I would sit in the balcony, just like some of you are up there. I would go into the choir room after church, and I would just want to figure out what hymn they had just played and try to play it on my right hand. And slowly but surely, I, the melodies came back to me, and I was able to play them. And then I always wanted to know, how do I get the left hand to work with the right hand? And uh, I was taught by the left hand uh, through the music minister's daughter. But the final thing was I want to be able to sing and play from the piano. And the Lord just slowly gave that to me. 
And by the time I graduated high school, I went to Oklahoma Baptist University and studied church music. And uh, the Lord has just done great things in my life and uh, brought me to Texas because I had to get out of Oklahoma really fast. So, <laughs> and I met my beautiful wife uh, at Hyde Park Baptist Church. And God has been really good to me. And uh, I'm just uh, grateful for the opportunity to be here and worship with you today. So, thank you, Michael. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Y'all, let me say thank you to Michael. So. Michael's origin story is different than mine, but it shares that same truth that God and his son Jesus has interrupted us and said, you know what? There's something more important than where you came from. There's something more important. It is who, what God has done for us in Jesus and the future that he has for us. The same thing is true for you. You may come from a very different origin than Michael, or for me for that matter, or anybody else in this room, but God wants to do the same kind of work. He wants to rescue you from sin and from shame. He wants to rescue you from purposelessness and from having to figure out life on your own. He wants to show you why he made you, and he's done it in Jesus Christ. His promise is that if you would turn to Christ in and, and trust and in faith, that he would make you a new creation. He'd start something different in you, and he would cause his spirit to come and live with you. And when he does that, it's like taking a rainbow trout out of California and planting you in a new place where you can thrive and grow as part of his body. If you don't yet have an origin story, you don't have a story of how it is that, that Jesus has interrupted and changed your life, then today could be the first day for you. It could be that today is the day where you say, you know what, I've been around church, I've heard about this Jesus thing, but, but it's never been personal for me, and I want that to happen for me. Today, if that's you, then I just want to encourage you to, to, in the quiet of your heart, own heart, say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to start a new work in me. I need you to transform me. I need you to be my only source of hope for my forgiveness of sins. And his promise is that as you reach out to him in faith, that he will, you will find that he is already right there with you, that he's scooping you up, and he's adopted you into this big family of people who come from all different places and backgrounds and origins, but have found their new home their new home in Jesus, and the life that his spirit creates. That's why the Apostle Paul talks about baptism here. It was not so much for him. Yes, it was a picture of what we do when we, as someone comes to trust Christ and is dunked under the water and comes back out. Yes, it was that picture, but he was pointing to something that's beyond just a one-time moment of demonstrating your trust by publicly being baptized. He was talking about the truth that all of us who are in Christ we are baptized into this new sphere of being, this new home that is the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ. But Paul also knew that if you take people from different origins and you throw them together into a new home, a new habitat, problems might emerge. All right, so y'all ready for the rest of this truth? Okay, I'll talk to y'all over here because you're ready. <laughs> Get on board if you want to, uh, to listen in. All right, so here's where you got to, uh, to turn in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
14, and then I'm going to read down through 15 to 18, because I want you to start to see the problem that Paul recognizes is going to happen when you throw people of different makeups into the same home. Verse 14, so the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. So here's the problem that the Apostle Paul anticipates for this church, and it's one that every church, every group of believers runs into. When you get a bunch of people together who want to follow Jesus, there is, there is the tendency for feelings of inferiority to begin to dominate our broken, sinful, selfish minds. We are redeemed by Jesus. We are uh, in, inhabiting this new home together. But the truth is that when we come together with other believers, other people, there is a tendency and a danger in us to look around at other people and say, well, I don't have what they've got, so I must not be that important. I don't have the kind of gifts with the, the keyboard and the piano, and so I can't serve God in the same kind of way. I don't have the ability to get up in front of a group of people, people and talk and to teach, and so I'm not as important as the pastor or my Sunday school teacher or small group leader. I don't have the boldness to, to just talk about my faith to whomever I come from, so, so I must not be as important in this whole mission of God that he is doing. This is the tendency that is praying in all of our hearts, whether we want to admit it or not. We're, we're always comparing ourselves to other folks. Even in the body of Christ, this, this happens. And so Paul anticipates this. And he says, look, when those feelings begin to emerge in you, when you start to feel inferior and compare yourself with others, you've got to turn yourself quickly to the solution. And he does this in three parts. First, he just, well, quite simply says, think the truth. And it's important that we think the truth because our tendency is to allow our feelings to determine what we believe about reality. But what the Apostle Paul says is our feelings don't determine reality. Truth determines reality. And so he uses the picture of the body. He says, if just because the foot says, I'm not a hand, it doesn't change the fact that the foot is still a part of the body. It's still attached, right? It makes sense. It's a simple illustration. Just because the foot feels like it's not as important doesn't change the truth that it's a part of the body. And so the first, the first step when we start to feel this inferiority that can, can damage our, our experience of being one body together, the first step is to think the truth. But then he goes on to the second one. He, he replaces the lie with, well, you can say it together, truth. He replaces the lie with the truth. He goes on in verse 17 to say, here's the truth of the matter. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
he continues this metaphor of the human body to make the point that for the body of Christ to work the way that it's supposed to, to be healthy and whole and, and, and bring glory to God and good to others, for that to happen, the body needs the differences. It needs people with different gifts and skills for the body to reach all of the places that it is supposed to in this world. It needs all of the difference, differences that are represented when a group of people like us come together and say, we want to follow Christ together. For us to be the church, the body that God has called us to be at the center of this city, reaching across this region around the world, it's going to take all of us. Now, you might not think that your place or your influence or your skills are, are as significant or important, but you've got to think the truth and remember that God has intended to make us different. It was his plan to equip us differently. And it is our responsibility to embrace the design of God that he has written into each one of us and to all of us corporately. That's the, the third place that Paul points us to. He replaces the, the lie with the truth that all the differences are necessary. But then he points to an even bigger truth, that God has designed us this way. Look at verse 18. But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body, just as he wanted. And so if you look at yourself and you think, I don't really like the way God made me. I, I, I wish I was like so-and-so. You might think that the problem is with you, that if you were different, that uh, your experience would be different. But the truth of the matter is your problem is not with you. Your problem is with God. Because when we choose to give in to these feelings of inferiority, when we choose to let our feelings shape our reality instead of letting truth shape our reality, what we are saying to our maker is that we don't trust his design. And that is an expression of rebellion. It's what the Bible would call sin. And it is destructive to our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. And so if we're going to be this new body uh, thrust together in a new environment, a new home, then each of us will have to fight this, this tendency in our hearts to compare and to long for and be jealous of other people's gifts and opportunities and experiences. And instead, allow our hearts to humbly and gratefully receive the gift that God has made you. I shared this this week with a, a young guy that came because he wants to be baptized. He wants to be, be a part of the church and confess his faith in Christ. And, and, and I said to him, I said, look, man, the truth is that there is something that God has made you to do that no one else can do. It's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, that you are God's workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and then catch this, which he prepared in advance for you to do. And so what was true of that young guy this week is true of each of you. If you have been baptized into this new family of faith, if you trusted Christ, then God has already prepared in advance good works for you to do that I can't do, that Michael can't do, that your Sunday school teacher or community group leader can't do. There is good work that only you can do. And so if you don't, if if you choose to not trust God, if you choose to, to reject the gifts that he's given you, then we all as a body, we suffer. We're not able to do what it is that God has shaped us and called us for. We need you in your unique shape and makeup. Remember this. The next time you are tempted to feel inferior or to be jealous of someone else's gifts or opportunities, just remember this. When, when God decides to create, he makes snowflakes. When human beings create, we make ice cubes. <laughs> Do you want to be a snowflake or an ice cube? It's much better to be the snowflake that he's made you to be than to try to force yourself to be an ice cube that he hasn't. God has made us with all kinds of makeups, but we have one maker. And his purpose in doing this is that all of these different parts that form his body would come together to accomplish his purpose and his plan. That's what this final verse points us to. We, we saw it in verse 18, and, and it's going to point backwards to a verse we read last week. Verse 18 again, but now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. He's pointing back to the purpose statement that he introduced in verse 7. And we actually read it this morning, so hear it again. Hear what Paul says was the purpose of us all coming together and receiving gifts from God that we would use to serve one another and to serve our community. It says this, a demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. God's plan is to give you a unique and special gift that nobody else gets. You have a unique gift that no one else gets so that when you come together with his people, his family of faith, we all sort of work like, well, like a motherboard. All of our different parts, and we might not even understand what they are, all of them cooperate together to produce something that is beneficial to everybody else. Now, I don't know about you, but you might actually know what some of those components are on the screen right now. I've got no idea, but what I do know is that I want one of those on my computer because really great things happen when it's all working together. And it's the same thing about the church, God's community. When we all come together, we choose to set aside smaller things and we, we choose to say Jesus really is the, the central reality for my life and for our family of faith. When we embrace the differences that God has thrust together into a family like this, he produces something, something beautiful and powerful 
and effective. And we can even see a glimpse of what it is that he's producing in these verses right here. You see, this idea of the purpose of these gifts helps us to understand a really strange way to state his point that Paul begins with in verse 12. Let me read it to you again. I want to see if it, if it catches you as, uh, as odd. This is verse 12 again. For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. Now, what would you expect him to say? So also is Christ's body. That's what you would expect him to say there, right? It's not a mistake in your translation. Paul chose to say, so also is Christ. Here's what he's pointing to. When we come together with all of our differences and different gifts and different origins and different makeups, when we come together, God is able to make visible in this place, in this community, the person of Jesus Christ. The invisible Jesus who reigns and rules over this world is made visible when his people come together as one body. And so it really matters that we do this and we do it well because when we fail to come together as one body, Jesus is not made visible in places where he ought. It's why it's important throughout history that the church, as it sends out missionaries, plants churches, not pastors. It's why it's important as we think about our mission and work here that we build community groups for college students and Sunday school classes for adults and for kids because it is as we come together in these smaller bodies that we are able to make Jesus visible in neighborhoods and in apartment complexes and in classrooms and ultimately in boardrooms and conference rooms as the people of God come together across the city and region. And as we do, we make Christ visible where he once was invisible. And God's promise is that if we would lift up Jesus in this way, that he will draw all humanity to him. Not to us. We're not the point of this. Jesus is the point of this. And so each of us matter more than you could imagine because as God has called and shaped you into a family of faith, he is preparing to make his son Jesus appear where he otherwise wouldn't. And so are you making Jesus visible? Is your life together with other believers making him apparent where he otherwise wouldn't be? And perhaps most importantly, have, have you experienced him? Do you have an origin story so that you know that you are a part of this family? 
Let's pray. Perfect and holy, eternal creator God. We recognize that you have sovereignly and wisely put us together in our individual parts and in our corporate parts. Would you accomplish the supernatural miracle of causing Jesus to be made apparent through just regular, ordinary people like us? And as you do, would you draw people who are far from him to his saving grace and power? I just pray that you'd do that even now, right here in this room. Accomplish your purpose in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We're going to sing another song, and I just want to 